The material provided today is for informational purposes only. It should not be considered legal or financial advice. Consult with a financial professional for your own needs. Johnny, Sestina, and company disclaims any and all liability for the interpretation and use of the content provided today. I need help getting out of my student loan I'm debt. so worried. How am I going to afford taking care of my When's parents? When's a good time to get into the market? I'm really not sure when I should start taking my Social Security. I wonder if I have enough insurance. I wonder when I can retire. It's time to talk about your money. Managing to be wealthy. Our team of fee-only financial planners is ready to help you to create better financial habits. Envision your long-term goals and understand money management better than ever. Our resident hosts of Johnny, Sestina, and Company are on deck to show you the way. Welcome to Managing to be Wealthy, your weekly financial planning radio show. This is your host, Stephen Lucan, and joining me this afternoon is Tad Harrington, John Sestina. We are all certified financial planners and Jared Locke, an aspiring certified financial planner. How's the studying going along? Uh, it's going along pretty well. I uh, had to take some classes to get ready to sit for the CFP, and now it's just getting into the actual studying for it. But it's it's a lot. What is what are your more favorite topics to be diving into? Um, I really like the investment side of it, but then also uh, like dependent planning. It's a little more relevant to going through college and stuff, and I can I can relate it to that. Relate, it, yeah. Tad, mm-hmm. what do you recall about the studying? Actually, it came up yes or last night. My wife was looking at me and she said i think you're losing your hair and you haven't done that since you started studying for the cfp <laughs> there you <laughs> but, go but we just had a baby five weeks ago so that's probably why yeah now john you were a more interesting uh situation because wasn't the cfp created after you start sort of started into the industry it was it came along later and uh, actually i had to be forced to take the exam because uh, I didn't want to do it. You know, David, I resist all that stuff. That doesn't surprise me. <laughs> but uh, Bob Underwood, one of the three founders of Napa, he said, look, you got to be in it. you got to do it. you got to fix the place from the inside. So I took the test, and fortunately I passed. Good, good. And you did a lot of good along the way. I would have to say, for me, the most uh, enlightening uh, I felt was tax planning, learning about taxes, uh, squeezing as much as you can from the tax code, right, to keep more uh, in your own pockets, in your own plan. And that, to me, I, I was I was really, really thrilled, and I just started to get real my hands dirty looking at the tax law, tax planning. I thought that was a very creative way for financial planning. It seemed like every question, there were two answers that could work, and you would just have to say which one saves the most taxes. <laughs> right, right. So true. So true. So today's show, we're going to talk a little bit about your financial plan and what to do if you have discretionary money. And we're going to get into that. Uh, you know, Jared, if you have an extra dollar at the end of the month, what do you do with it, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I usually just put it towards savings right now. I've, okay. I've tried to commit to savings. Good. We're going we're, we're gonna to get into that. Before, before we go there, we're going to talk a little bit about current events in the economy. And this past week, we saw a real big spike in the Treasury yield. Uh, John, I think it's approaching 1.5%. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> Last time, that was, that was over a year ago. So it's back to 2020 levels uh, back 12 months ago. About a week or two ago on the Tuesday show, I did a thing about inflation because it's coming. And and it seems like that's what the economists are equating it to is the spike in the 10-year Treasury is due to inflation concerns and fears and uh, the reality of inflation. Exactly. And that's why we saw the market go down. 
Yeah, the the interest rates uh, have a negative impact on on stocks, and we're seeing that. And the other thing, what I think we'll see an impact beyond that is the mortgage rates. So mortgage rates are tied to the 10-year Treasury yield, and with mortgage rates going up, being higher, we're in home buying, home selling season, the springtime, and that's going to impact the market itself. Yeah. Well, I can't do that. I haven't sold my house yet. <laughs> we better get on it, John. I know. <laughs> it'll, it'll be curious to see what happens in the season, like you said, because even, you know, we seemed like there was a little bit lower inventory over the winter, which is normal. But, man, leading up to the winter through a pandemic, it was amazing how many houses were going and selling right. quickly. Right. And and the the trending too, you saw people looking for more space, more square footage, uh, maybe a home office due to the work from home. Uh, so you saw a trend change immediately uh, during that transition. There's been a lot of articles that have come out just interviewing home buyers that maybe did it a little bit too quick because okay. you know they have to bid. A lot of people were giving up the inspections. Now they come back and realize that there's problems and issues. So if you're going that route, just always make sure you're being careful and doing the diligence. So true. So true. Uh, I'm going to give a little uh, trivia quiz. Actually, I, I, I gave the answer out uh, before we started the, the recording here. But in the year 2020, vehicles traveled 2.8 trillion miles in the year 2020. Vehicles rode, uh, drove or moved mm-hmm. 2.8. Guess what? That's the lowest level since. How many uh, years back do you think you have to go? Uh, let's see, probably 1918. <laughs> <laughs> Close, but not not quite. Yeah. It's the lowest level since 2001. Wow. Okay. So it's almost 19 years, right? Mm-hmm. So 19 years, almost 20 years. That's uh, that's a pretty big gap, and that's you know obviously energy, uh, fuel, uh, oil, and consumption, and so forth. I just thought that was very interesting. The other thing I, I read in the uh, Columbus Dispatch was uh, let me pull it up here a second is about uh, the hospitality in downtown Columbus. So for the year 2019, downtown Columbus had 10 million visitors downtown for the year 2019. And for the year 2020, it dropped to 1.3 million. Oh, wow. Wow. That's a lot more than I would have thought. Right? So you think about the local businesses, and that's just if you think about for football games, conventions, uh, the Arnold, right? That's a huge draw. Mm -hmm. So they they usually get in 2019 that 10 million people come downtown, visitors, and it dropped to 1.3 million. I couldn't imagine trying to sustain that as a business owner. Right. And here, hotel occupancy. For the year of 2020, hotel occupancy downtown Columbus was at 23.7%. And the average, and this is a national average, as I recall, going back to when I studied the industry, was it's 66.5% in 2019. So that's usually the average you you always have. Mm-hmm. So that's another big hit. And you think about the staffing, mm-hmm. right, the front desk, the bell clerks, the restaurant servers across the board, uh, housekeeping. Uh, those are people who got laid off. So hopefully, hopefully we start to see the resurgence of uh, the economy growing in this, all the cities. All the cities are the same. This is not just exclusive to Columbus. It seems well, that's like... because I stopped going to L.A. every month. There you go, <laughs> right? And air, airline uh, tickets. So um, the other thing, too, is office space downtown. Uh, 19.2% of downtown office space was not leased. And that was that's up from 14%, not leased. So 5% swing there. And that'll change, too. And, and that was the comment uh, in the article itself that, Companies will probably start to ramp up again 
uh, knowing that you do need that in, inner mm -hmm. office uh, environment for just building culture and communication. So I thought that was uh, in some interesting points there. Yeah, that's actually not as bad as I would have guessed it to be, Stephen. I agree. I agree. I was a little. I was. I was happy to see that, but yeah, I. I I'm curious, but that's just of office space that was not leased. So I'm not. I'm sure it's not talking about uh, space that was leased that wasn't occupied. Right. Oh, right. right. Yeah, it's a big difference there. So, and then the other thing we saw in the news this week is uh, Robin Hood's back into action with GameStop. GameStop is spiking again Last upwards. Right, it's going upwards. Jared, do you have millions of shares yet? Uh, no, I've tried to stay away from GameStop. Good. Well, Good. you can take that $1, I understand, with Robinhood, you can invest it. <laughs> <laughs> right, and, and but we're seeing it. And, and ironically enough, last week we, we mentioned a little bit about Charlie Munger, who's the chairman of uh, Berkshire Hathaway. He's gotten into a little bit of a squabble with Robinhood of, on his approach. Um, he's basically, he called him out and saying it's 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 sort of like, uh, racetrack betting and I, I can't necessarily disagree with him but Robin Hood came and fired shots back at him yeah I don't, I don't blame them but I mean we could talk about this one next segment too but it's it's a hard one because I I get that you know it is gambling like you know investing doesn't have to be gambling but it is in a sense but it's all about your intent and I think a lot of intent behind GameStop and these other hot stocks so to speak are just it's a gamble for a lot of people it really is and, and what i mentioned on on the show is the perception that robin hood has created uh the visual perception is almost like it's a video game mm -hmm. and that's what they're actually being sued over with the the young kid who committed suicide is the the game aspect and didn't know what they're getting into when we we come back from this break we're going to dig into our topic and what to do and how to deal with discretionary money at the end of the month you're listening to Managing to Be Wealthy on News Radio 610 WTVN. You're listening to Managing to Be Wealthy with fee-only financial planners of Johnny, Sestina, and Company. If you're looking for the latest stock tip or how to time the market, you've come to the wrong place. If you want help navigating all the moving pieces of what makes a financial plan successful, tune in and take notes. Welcome back to Managing to Be Wealthy, your weekly financial planning radio show. This is your host, Stephen Lucan. And today's topic, we're going to dig into what to do with discretionary income. So after all your uh, debts and liabilities and savings are taken care of, if you have some extra money lying around, what do you do with it? And we'll actually get into what not to do with it. Uh, but before we go into that, uh, I got some really bad news for you guys. What's that? What's are you guys Dairy Queen fans? Yes. Yeah. Right. John, are you a Dairy Queen fan? Oh, my goodness. When I was in high school, that was one of our favorite places. Right. And they have an annual tradition. First yeah. day of spring, everyone gets a free cone. Canceled. Oh, oh no. What? Yeah. So we got to wait until 2022 until Dairy Queen <laughs> hands out a free cone. Uh, but so it is. I'm sure I'll be visiting there at some point this summer. Uh, but for 2021, it is canceled for that free cone on the first day of spring. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's dig into today's topic. Uh, again, cash flow. You have your income, your paychecks. You have your debt servicing, hopefully, or hopefully not. No debt servicing. And if you do, uh, you pay your debts, pay your insurances. And at the end of the month, you have some money left over. What is the primary focus? What do you do with that money? Who well, wants to go first? I think the first thing people need to realize, Stephen, is they have to create discretionary income great point if you just go through life uh, you know flowing down the stream like a dead salmon you're not going to make much progress so to have discretionary income you have to plot it 
You have to say, here's, here's how much I'm going to have. Just the same as you would set any goal, you need to do that with your discretionary income. And that, would, that obviously goes through analyzing where your money goes, right, yep. and comparing it to your income. Yep. You have your inflows and your outflows. So trying to squeeze more money out of your income. And that's we've talked numerous times about the income cycle, right, Ted? Yeah, and the income cycle is a very powerful concept because it allows you to look where everything's going and not just focus on one item to reduce your cash flow or to put actually to increase your cash flow, but you can look across this whole spectrum of how can I save money with taxes? How can I save money with my food bill? How can I save money with my debt service? All those things. So, Jared, if, if somebody said to you, I have an extra $100, where, where's the first thing you tell them to look at? Uh, first thing I'd say is, do you have a cash reserve buildup? Do you have that emergency uh, account that if something were to happen to you, that you could pull from that? Um, that's been my biggest thing that I've tried to build up. And whenever my friends uh, start to ask, I'd say put it, put it in the bank. Make sure you have money just in case something Should you happens. be concerned about earning 0% interest? Um, a little bit. Uh, I think that it, it's more important to make sure that you're safe in the, in the case of something bad happening. And then once you get that build up, that's when you get to put the money towards the investments and start earning uh, a return on that. Great. All right, John. So I have my cash reserve in place. Still have some discretionary money. Anywhere else I should look? Uh, well, yes, you should look at your future and say this. It, see, the problem with discretionary, it's not really discretionary. You should have a use for every dollar that you earn. The people I've observed who are mostly successful financially are those people who basically plan their wealth. And you plan your wealth by planning your income. And part of that income is what we're calling discretionary. It's a great point. And that's where I, I say don't hesitate to add you know, if, let's say you even have your 401k maximized. Uh, Tad, what's the next place to look then? After the 401k is maximized? Or 403b, yeah. whatever, you know, the main primary retirement savings. Uh, an option, if you're focusing on retirement savings, could be an individual retirement account. It uh, operates the same way where you get a tax advantage depending on which type of account it is, but it allows you to sock that money away and save some taxes along the way for the long-term goal of retirement. Right. So individual retirement account, the IRA, uh, you have the Roth IRA. If you're qualified for the mm -hmm. Roth IRA, put your money there, right? It's a tax-free growth investment. So any, any you get, don't get the deduction going in, but all the growth is tax-free the rest of your life. And the withdrawals are tax-free. That's you know, a fantastic benefit. That's a good point, Stephen, because people are myopic about their money. They only see one thing, and what you're pointing out is when you have any money and you're going to save it, invest it, you know, whatever you're talking about, look for the way that's most efficient. And when we talk about efficiency, we're not only talking about investing, we're talking about taxes, as you pointed out earlier. So you want to put your money where it's most tax-effective, and that takes some thinking. You know, should you be a Roth? Well, if you're like Jared, you know, you're very young, that makes all the sense in the world. But if you're an old guy like me, oh, they don't let me even have one. So anyway, <laughs> you should look at the various plans out there where you can put this discretionary money. Yeah, and one of the earlier lessons in my financial planning career was I had somebody who could, they didn't qualify for the Roth IRA, but I said, put it into a regular IRA. It's non-deductible, but it'll grow tax deferred. Right, and I literally had the accountant say to me, "What? Why bother? They can't deduct it. So what's the difference?" I said, "Well, the tax deferred growth," and they they said, "I guess." 
right? So, so here we did this for a few years, and then all of a sudden the IRS changed the tax law on the Roth conversion. Used to have to make under a hundred thousand dollars of income and able to do uh, to be able to do a, a Roth conversion, and they changed that rule. And then immediately this this they were able to do a full Roth conversion on all those annual contributions that were non-deductible. And, and it was a pretty big conversion. And I I mean, I'm impressed by where what it became. Yeah, thank God you started doing that right from the get-go. But even even the tax deferral nature of uh, the other account would be like a, it's taxed every year, taxes you buy and sell. That adds up and that can save. And, and if you look at it within a year, you might save depending on the amount, but let's say it's a thousand bucks. That doesn't seem too sexy and exciting. But if you think about that over 10, 15, 20 years, that's 10, 15, $20,000 plus compound interest on that. That's a pretty meaningful difference over the years. It sure is. And there's the other, the other nugget for people who do have a 401k, they're able to uh, contribute after tax dollars, right? And it might be a little bit every year, but like you said, Todd, if you work for that company for 10, 15, 20 years, it becomes a pretty big stockpile. Right, and then you're able to even convert that upon separation from service, convert it to a Roth IRA, and that's that's a pretty big home run there. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting because what you're pointing out is how to be uh, using your money correctly and thinking it through. Many people go out and they buy municipal bonds because they're trying to get tax-free income, and you're pointing out ways to get all this tax deferral. I mean, using your HSA, using your 401k, your IRA, and so many other instruments. And so you need to broaden your thinking when you're looking at your money. That's why you manage your wealth. That's why we keep talking about managing to be wealthy. You manage the whole thing. It, just don't look at it. Don't be myopic when you see something. Oh, an IRA. Well, I don't know. You know that type of thing. Look at all the ways you can use it. Yeah, and you, you mentioned instruments. I've heard you refer to them as tools as well. And that's the first thing you have to do is say, okay, given my personal situation, what are the tools at my disposal? And pretty much everybody that makes money can use an individual retirement account. If you have an employer, there's a good chance they offer an employer retirement plan. But try to you know talk to HR and understand, like Ohio State's a good example. A lot of people work for Ohio State, they get their pension. But there's also a 403B, which acts as another tax deferral where you can still plug a bunch of money in there. So just find out what's available to you. And that'll help you understand, okay, how much should I put in which bucket? Right. And the other, the other tool, deferred compensation plan. Yeah, right. So a non-qualified deferred compensation plan. Again, there's risks there, but again, it's a tool in your in your arsenal that you can use to your benefit. And over a period of time, it, you'll you'll benefit from it. So even even if you hear something that's not tax deductible, that doesn't mean it's a bad thing. You just need to understand the consequences of saying, okay, if I use it, I can't get the tax deduction. But where are the benefits? And there are benefits there. So don't just go with if it's tax deductible or not being a good thing or a bad thing. So when we come back from the break, we're going to continue the conversation, how to or what to do with your any discretionary money within your financial plan. You're listening to Managing to Be Wealthy on News Radio 610 WTVN. Welcome back to Managing to Be Wealthy, your weekly financial planning radio show. This is your host, Stephen Lucan, and joining me on today's show, Tad Harrington. 
John Sestino. We are certified financial planners and Jared Locke, uh, soon to be hopefully in the next year or two, a certified financial planner. In today's show, we're talking about what to do with discretionary money. But if you'd like to learn a little bit more about managing to be wealthy and John E. Sestina and company, you can visit us on our website at managingtobewealthy.com. A lot of information on there. And I know, Tad, you're working on putting together a workshop, correct? Still, still in progress, but you're working on it. Yeah, we actually, we finalized the first installment, which is going to be a general overview of financial planning, just to understand the concepts and the framework to start to build and implement your own plan. And in the past, we had tried to do it in person, but I think you're going digital. We're going to go virtual. Virtual Ho- world. Hopefully soon we'll switch to Co- in Cover the world. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so every, all the listeners, stay tuned. We're going to provide more information on that. And if we're going to try to gear it towards anyone who's interested in learning. Mm-hmm. And that's just like this radio show. So uh, for the listeners out there, again, your financial plan, you have discretionary money. Uh, we talked a little bit about adding to your retirement savings or using every dollar within your plan. Jared, any other areas uh, that you could say that people could focus on with their discretionary? Uh, definitely paying down debt. Um, that's a word that our debt is a thing that people usually want to get rid of as quick as possible. Uh, I know it's one of the first things that I put money towards each month, whether it's credit cards or student loan debt. Um, but then if people have a mortgage and they uh, they have extra money sitting around, throw it at the principal. Uh, you end up paying down your principal balance a little bit faster, and it saves you money in the long run. And, and the other thing is know what, what rates you're paying, interest rates, mm-hmm. right? And it doesn't necessarily mean you have to tackle the highest interest rate. But as you mentioned, credit cards, most, you know, if you look at the credit card bills, they, the interest rate that is applied to them is astronomical. Mm-hmm. Can be can be a huge obstacle. It usually feels pretty good to pay that stuff down too and <laughs> stay in front of it. I, I just had a conversation a couple hours ago with somebody, and the decision was: Do you pay down debt or do you invest? And for whatever reason, I never thought of this, but it was almost like we always look at that as a apples to apples scenario. Like there's X amount of dollars and X amount of dollars towards either option. And they said, "Well, we just really don't like debt." So we thought, "Well, like if you were to pay down debt, do you think that would motivate you more to actually pay more?" So they thought, yes, we would actually probably pay, you know, $50,000 in debt over the next few years versus if we were investing that, we're just not as motivated. So it might only be thirty-five. I thought that's a really interesting way to look at it. So just understand how you're wired, what's going to motivate you to make these decisions. And and that's what, again, you look at, you're spot on with servicing debt. It is does become a game, right? And let's say you have things spread out between student loans, mortgages, maybe a car payment, a financed car and whatnot. And it does become a game. It becomes motivation. No different than if you're on a diet and you see that scale start to dwindle down. You're like, ooh, I'm getting somewhere. It's got some momentum going on. It does become a bit of a motivational approach, and you really start to hammer it and dig in deep. Well, and the, and the uh, interest rates on debt are an investment. So think about it. When you invest your money, you're sitting there hoping you're going to make 10% a year in the stock market or whatever. Now, if you look at your debt, when you pay that down, you're making an 8%, whatever the mortgage is, 5% after-tax rate of return. That's like an investment. And that should make you feel stronger because eventually you're rid of the debt. I mean, it's so wonderful to be out of debt, right, Stephen? It, it's fantastic. And debt's a good way to look at it is instead of you not earning 3 or 4 or 5% interest on your savings account or investment account, you're not paying the bank that 3 4 or 5%. The, right. the interest is going somewhere, and the, again, you talk about um, sleight of hand or mm-hmm. or the the hidden 
right? The hidden cost. No one really looks about what, how much they give each month to the interest payment on their loans. Mm-hmm. It's it's staggering. Absolutely they would be staggering. Shocked. Yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. So again, you can service your debt, learn about the interest rates. Uh, Tad, what, where are some other areas uh, for people in their financial plan? We've talked about paying more taxes, which I think John's rolling over right now. <laughs> What do you mean pay more taxes? I don't want to pay more taxes. <laughs> we hinted to it earlier, but yeah. with uh, the different types of IRAs, you can actually elect to pay your taxes on an IRA contribution today versus down the road, which is a Roth IRA, of course. And it, it sounds counterintuitive, but if you pay it today, you know, you're never paying it again and it could actually end up being better for the long run. So definitely another consideration. And that is in, via the Roth conversion, right? Mm-hmm. That's one of the ways you can do it. If you have a sizable uh, IRA uh, or an old rollover, you can pay the taxes now, convert it to a Roth. Not a bad idea if you're in a low tax bracket or you're young. If you're young and you have 30 more years to invest your money, go for it. Yeah, that, that low tax bracket, that's another interesting dynamic where, if, like, let's say you're recently retired, you don't have that money coming in, you're in the lower tax bracket. Now you can start to think about taxes. I have to pay these eventually. Do I do it now or later? And so it's not always as cut and dry as, say, reduce your taxes always. It could actually be, you could take advantage of that and pay them today, which would be lower than they would down the road. Yeah. Yeah, and you make some uh, philosophical decisions like, are we, is this the lowest tax bracket I'm going to be in, and will the government change it, and will I be paying more taxes in the next five years? So it's very important to evaluate the, the, whole, the whole financial planning picture. The thing is you've got to synchronize everything. You can't just look in a dark hole and say, well, here's taxes all alone, and I don't want to pay taxes. You have to coordinate that with your overall plan. It's a great point. The other thing, John, I know we always focus on retirement, right? Retirement is the priority goal, the number one goal. But if again, if you have discretionary money, there's nothing wrong with setting up secondary goals, correct? That's right. And those goals, what are, what are some examples over the years you've you've seen? Well, <laughs> kind <laughs> of interesting things. You and I rode in, a, was it a Ferrari? Yeah. Uh, one of our clients who, that was his dream car. Yeah. And he was completely out of debt. He had Everything set up. His retirement was solid, and he drove to our office and let us even drive. We'll let you drive it. We drove that Ferrari. Man, that was awesome, right? Yeah. Oh, fantastic, right? That was a ride of a lifetime. Yeah, that's exactly it. Set up those secondary goals. Maybe it's a a, a warm location, secondary home, or even just re- a renting, having a vacation budget to rent for the month of February somewhere warm, not yep, Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> not Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> Even charitable things. I mean, you want to do something charitable, set up a little foundation or a donor-advised fund that you fill up or some kind of a trust. So think part of what manage, why we call this managing to be wealthy is you got to think broadly. You can't be narrow, narrow-minded here. Yeah, and that's the other thing, too, is people, uh, even with charitable giving, if you just delay your chair, you could have that charitable intention without giving to charity that given year. So if I said to myself, hey, I'd like to really give a few thousand dollars to charity, if I would just set up an approach to build my investment portfolio with after-tax money, invest that money, I could give more in my lifetime by delaying it and using my investments to give to the charity over the rest of my lifetime. Exactly. Right. So, go ahead. We like instant gratification. <laughs> <laughs> so do the charities. I understand that, right? Everyone likes to get a little, little bit of a charity every uh, every year, but it's a good approach, and that's why uh, using that discretionary money to build an after-tax investment account 
those after-tax investment accounts, I think, are what I see for the most successful financial plans. People have that after-tax savings. It gives you flexibility. It gives you ability to retire earlier, uh, manage tax rates. It gives you that extra uh, arrow in the quiver for your arsenal. It's a little little bit of freedom where you don't have to lock things up until you're, what, 59 and a half. Right. And then, well, so, go, ahead, go ahead, John. I was going to say, it's what we always talk about. It's not retirement. It's financial independence so that you can do what you want to do when you want to do it. That's so true. And then if, if your discretionary income is coming via additional income, maybe tie up uh, your insurances, your disability insurance, your life insurance. Make sure you're properly protected there because that's a lot of time and oversight uh, that people don't pay attention to. Well, we're coming up on another break here. And when we uh, come back for the last segment, we're going to go into what not to do with your discretionary income. You're listening to Managing to be Wealthy on News Radio 610 WTVN. You're listening to Managing to be Wealthy with fee-only financial planners of Johnny, Sestina, and Company. If you're looking for the latest stock tip or how to time the market, you've come to the wrong place. If you want help navigating all the moving pieces of what makes a financial plan successful, tune in and take notes. Welcome back to Managing to be Wealthy, your weekly financial planning radio show. This is your host, Stephen Lucan, and today we're talking about what to do with your discretionary money and in, in this final segment we're going to talk about what not to do uh sounds we talk a lot about that <laughs> don't make these mistakes but we're going to go there again uh but how does that usually how does discretionary uh income come into play usually or discretionary money within your financial plan a lot of time times it is through uh pay raises or promotions or job uh, career changes and whatnot. So John, when someone goes through a career change or gets a promotion and gets more money in their pocket, they should just spend that extra money, correct? (laughs) (laughs) No. I mean, imagine if you were able to manage your finances so that you lived on what you made three years ago. So, you know, when a bonus comes, that's extra. doesn't mean you should consume it. You may want to give some to charity or some for your retirement, but you don't need to consume all that. Buy a, buy a gift for your spouse, but uh, don't go crazy with it. That's extra money to boost your plan. So your lifestyle should be determined and not influenced by these increases. Most of us want to live at the end of all we make, so that's why we get into trouble. And keep in mind, you need money in the future. Yeah, and, and most of our lifestyle, everyone's lifestyle is really driven by their income. Right. Whatever their income is. And, and then as it grows, your your lifestyle may or may not grow. And what we're trying to say here is if your uh, income grows, that doesn't necessarily mean you have to grow your lifestyle accordingly. The, the, again, we laugh. The most successful financial plan will joke and say living in a van down by the river. <laughs> right. You could you could live well, in a van down by a river. What's right. And you could have a very small nest egg and be perfectly content. But it's all about how high you want to raise the bar. That's right. right. I, I think of some uh, clients who are now deceased, but they they did that. They they had very little money by today's standards, and yet they they lived gracefully and they were comfortable, and they still had money left when they passed away. Do you think it's a generational thing? I think generationally, yes, that's part of it. Because uh, as we are moving away from what money really is, I mean, Bitcoin's uh, an example, but the credit card was another example. People don't even realize when they're spending money now. They sign up for subscriptions, and that money's dinged out of their account automatically, or they're using a credit card. They don't think they're spending money. And these sorts of things are getting people to focus or not focus on what money really is. 
take cash once in a while from your paycheck and live on that and pay things with cash. That'll get your attention. Yeah, we talked a little bit about miles driven in the uh, first segment, and the car is a tremendous promoter of the economy, mm-hmm. right? Try to get in a car and not spend money. It's almost impossible, right? You may be going to work. That's fine. But someone's like, well, you go to the gym. Well, you pay for the gym membership, mm-hmm. right? Uh, yep. just can't. You almost can't get in a car and not spend money. I mean, I wouldn't dare get in my car without a wallet. Because you just never know. <laughs> right. you know I, I'll well, you your license, Dad. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, my credit card. I'll, I'll go pick up my daughter from daycare, which, by the way, is like a mile from the house, and I'll make sure I have my wallet. Yeah. It's, and it's I don't know why, but yeah, yeah yep. I think it's just habit. So you ever get in the car and not spend money, Jared? Uh, no. Right. It, there's always a trip to the gas station or something. Or other. You got to get your monster energy right. drink. Energy exactly. drink. I got two this right. morning. <laughs> I'm All right, work. going back to how not to spend your discretionary money, uh, monster energy drink. So, but 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 the big the thing we talk a lot about is don't squander it, right? right. Don't be foolish and frivolous with that money. I think that's where it's, um, you know, penny saved is a penny earned kind of concept, and that's the one thing I going back to the first segment about the Robin Hood day trading concept because it happened. We saw it in the late '90s. It yep. was a game. And it is a game today, and that's what Charlie Munger was getting at. People are going to get hurt by it. They're going to make some really, really bad decisions and learn the hard way. You bet. It's like people going into a gambling casino. They're not as lucky as you are, Stephen, to win all that money playing. Uh, yeah. Was that <laughs> right. blackjack? No, pie gal. Pie gal. Pie gal is the game. I'm not... They go into the place, and they, the, the entire theme of this casino is to get you excited. Yeah. I mean, the lights. Even the air that they pump in there. Yeah. So all that stuff is to get you excited. So you begin to lose a little bit of reasoning and you make decisions that may not be prudent. Yeah. And the, the other bigger challenge is the increased uh, income. You alter your lifestyle. And there's nothing wrong with that. And that's why having a good financial plan is, hey, we want to buy a bigger house or have that secondary goal. It may, it may result in you having to work achieve that financial independence now at age 60, maybe age 65, maybe age 70. And if you're okay with it, that's well and good. And that's what you have to to weigh the consequences of increasing that lifestyle because it may result in you having to work a few years longer. You can't go blind and make decisions without knowing those consequences. That's what I fear the most about this GameStop and or Robin Hood frenzy, whatever, is that when I talk to people that have done this, I've talked to people that have made a lot of money, people that have broke even, a lot of people that have lost money. And it's the people that have lost money that I get the most concerned about because nobody's really shown me any concern over that. And I'm like, you, I'm sorry, you spent how much on this? And it's gone. And they're like, oh, yeah, it just happened. And so it makes me think they have a false sense of, like, do they think that that'll come back easily? No, that's money gone. And like John was saying, make sure when you get a bonus to have a boost to the plan. Because how many times do we talk about setbacks and hurdles that we have to overcome? So we, we have to balance those out somehow. So when you get that mo- like that bird in the hand, just you know take it take a break and a good way to not spend frivolously is just to take i call it the 72 hour test yeah anytime you think you want to spend money on something just give it a few days and see if you really want it that's a really good good approach right just wait think it out uh the other the other thing too john that i i hear and i usually cringe at is when someone has that guaranteed 100 percent return this this penny stock is going to go to the moon. This is going to be fantastic. I'm going to use my Roth IRA because it's a tax-free investment account. Oh, I know. And we've seen some of those, haven't we, where people take all their money and they buy the sure deal 
whether it be gold or penny stock or whomever gives them a deal, uh, it's, you just have to manage your wealth. That's the key. And if you do, you'll be successful. And, and the thing that scares me is when somebody says, I'm going to use that Roth IRA account because it's tax-free oh, yeah. and I don't, I don't have to pay capital gains tax or any tax on the growth. But the risk you're implying, you're probably going to lose that money. That money doesn't get back into the Roth IRA. Right, you, yeah. you you get one contribution a year, maybe, or you pay the taxes on the Roth conversion. You don't, you can't really recover that. Yeah, it's not like you have a basis that you can just put money back right. into. Right, and that's that's the other. That's why I'm just skeptical. So if if you have that approach, hey, I'm going to use my Roth IRA. Don't do it. We just say don't do it in general with a very high risk investment. Some people do it. They're willing to assume that risk, and some people do hit. It's very rare, but they do, and they're good. At, they're lucky, maybe. Uh, but don't don't use the Roth IRA account because you think you're going to get that tax-free growth, and it probably doesn't come to fruition. Well, their attitude is, well, that's where the money is. Yes. And so they go take the money out of that bucket, and then they destroy their plan. Yeah. So any other words of wisdom on what not to do? Uh, I just I think back to it's one of the first things that I remember you saying to me, Stephen, when I started was every year when you make a little bit of mo extra money, you're going to get that that lifestyle creep. And I think you always just have to be aware that that's that's going to be there. You're always going to spend a little bit more as money come in. But if you're aware of it, you can kind of plan for it and, and put money where it's supposed to go uh, so that your spending just doesn't get out of control. Yeah, and that and that's the point is everyone's going to want that higher lifestyle. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm no different. We're none of us in this room mm -hmm. are different. Uh, that's that's where why we work hard, why we want to save our money, and that's why you want to build a sound financial plan. And as you increase your lifestyle, make sure you're keeping up with the spending, or keeping up with the saving and knowing what you're spending, so you can build a f sound financial plan all the way through. Because you don't, you don't build it to age 65, you build it to the day you die, which is hopefully in your late 80s, early 90s, even longer if possible. Um, hopefully these tips were very helpful for today's listeners. Please share the podcast with your friends and family. You can tell Alexa, hey, pay, play Managing to be Wealthy. Tune in again next week. You've been listening to Managing to be Wealthy on News Radio 610 WTVN.